All right. Hello, hello. Hey, how's it going, everybody? <laughs> We're back for another episode. It's another week. We got another show, uh, and we have some things to talk. Are you looking at your hair there, Scott? Your hair is looking yep. fly. I'm it's looking to make fly. Sure I look decent on camera. Yeah, your hair is looking fly. All right. Is that still a word? <laughs> yeah, for guys our age, it is. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, something new has hit the airwaves, and we're going to talk about that thing. What are we talking about today, Mr. Wilson? We're talking about the season premiere of The Mandalorian, season three premiere to be exact. Season three. And it's interesting how they refer to them in chapters. So each episode is a chapter. And so the first two seasons were, you know, season one was chapter one through eight, season two, chapter nine through 16, season three, chapter 17. Um, and The Mandalorian is a show that, to me, just keeps getting better. I think I mentioned to you early on when I first started watching The Mandalorian, I liked it. I did not, there was nothing I did not like about it, but my only complaint, if I could say, was that in season one, especially, it seemed like every episode just kind of wrapped up with a bow on it. And it was just, you know, and it felt a little kind of ABC after school special where, you know, it was a happy ending, there were no cliffhangers, and it was just. That's, that was really my only complaint. Now, season two, you know, went in a lot more directions. And now we even had a season 2.5, which was a couple of episodes in the middle of the Book of Boba Fett. And my opinion, that was the only redeeming thing in that Boba Fett season. Uh, but here we are now in season three. And season three in one episode, and in a short episode, gave us a lot. Um. Okay, this, for the, the long and short of it for me is... I, I was entertained by this episode. I wasn't really impressed. Now, before it sounds like I'm going to crap all over, and I'm not. Like I said, I was entertained. But I'm used to, with The Mandalorian, the last two seasons, the season openers grabbed me right from jump. This one kind of didn't because it didn't really... We're not even really into the story yet. It kinda, It's kind of a lot of setup. I'm thinking that might be the case because... A lot of this was originally set up in Book of Boba Fett. Uh, what the Mandalorian is going to have to do, he's going to have to redeem himself. Spoiler alert, you know. Right. But I'm assuming, I mean, most Star Wars fans, you've probably already watched all these shows, even if you don't like all of them. So you're probably caught up. Um, but a lot of the current trajectory of the Mandalorian was set up in the Book of Boba Fett in those sort of... Um, Mandalorian 2.5 episodes, a lot of people are calling them now. Right. Um, that were that kind of ended up in the middle of the Book of Boba Fett. So I guess maybe they felt they had to sort of sort of repeat that for for those for people who may not have watched Book of Boba Fett. They probably had to have a this episode just sort of restate the setup. For those who didn't watch Book of Boba Fett, but probably watched The Mandalorian, okay. watch every Star Wars show, that's, okay. because it really n nothing really happens in this episode. It's just sort of like okay, the preliminaries before he goes on this mission that we already know he was gonna, he's going to go on. So um, you know, like I like the little the little short, cute uh, mechanic alien yeah. thingies. Yeah. Yeah. <coughs> they were working on the droid. And they were in the sequel movies. They were the ones that helped erase C-3PO's brain. I, I remember. For him to unlock the Sith translations or something like that. So just kind of tying together all the past and present continuity. 
I like the idea of that little outpost that um, Carl Weathers is stationed at now. Yeah. It's sort of this, there's a lot more money flowing through there and he's becoming legitimate. And I like the idea of how he has to contend with. Kind of reminded you know, me of um, uh, Lando Calrissian in a little bit. Yeah. You know, very, well, very similar echoing of that. Like, you know, we have, you know, with success comes challenges and well the challenges come from the fact that these guys weren't exactly legitimate they didn't they didn't <laughs> come up through legitimate means so right now they which is which is an interesting commentary itself on politics and just you know it's kind of like the, the, the guys that you used to, that you used to work with who did dirty work for you in the past mm -hmm. or, you know who you may have had to deal with in the past they're kind of looking at you saying hey you know we know you you've come up but look Right. You know, but this is everything. Everything isn't okay. You know, you still have to deal with us. And, right. Right. You know, right, so right. That, that's interesting. Um, <clears throat> of course, I'm always happy to see Grogu. Or even though for some reason, Grogu seems Grogu seems to look a little bit more obviously a puppet. So <laughs> in this episode, okay. the other ones, okay. I'm not sure why. It, it may just be because I'm not used. It's been a while since. Been a while we've since seen, we've seen. Yeah. It. Yeah. So that might be it. Um, I'm just sort of. I'm I'm hoping because one one thing bugs me, but this isn't with the show itself. There's one thing that's bugged me. I noticed that this season of The Mandalorian seems to have arrived with very little fanfare and hype on the part of Disney because the first two seasons, they Disney let you know they spared no expense to let you know mm. this is coming and the date is coming on and you got to get Disney Plus to watch it. And this time is. I didn't even know this past week that this week I didn't even know that the Mandalorian was premiering this week. I just happened somebody posted a trailer and I happened to look it up online. It's like, oh, it's coming out this Wednesday. That's very strange to me. That's very strange on Disney's part. Okay, I remember seeing teasers for it. I don't, but again, I don't watch a lot of stuff. Um, well, I'm gonna, I'm going to just. <clears throat> You, you mentioned it didn't really start off in any specific way, but I feel like it did. Because when we see the woman forging the piece of armor, who was the same one who forged some of Mando stuff in season one, um, then you see her come out with that helmet and you see a kid there kind of being baptized into the Mandalorian Creed. It was almost being set up like a flashback. So for a minute, you're thinking, oh, this is Mando when he first became Mando. At least that's what I was thinking. I'm thinking this is a flashback because this is all the right. Mandalorians. And they talked about in the season, um, they had a little wrap-up. Or, uh, you know, uh, before the episode started, they gave you a quick little wrap-up of different scenes. And one of the scenes, he, he was, she was saying, the only way you can redeem yourself is to bathe in the waters. And then here you see a kid bathing in waters. So I thought the opening was a flashback. That's how it kind of came across to I me. I can see that. I so, can see that. Um, and it was a good opening sequence. It starts off seeming like this really rich tradition. And then we have this giant alligator with a turtle back jumping out of the water. And you get to see uh, just a whole squad of Mandalorians in action um, just doing what they do with their jetpacks and their guns and everything else. Uh, I felt the opening was pretty strong. Um, and then, of course me starting off thinking it's a flashback and then you see that Naboo fighter which she kind of pimped out in season two kind of come in and save the day 
I thought all of that was a really epic way to kick the episode off. Just to say, look, I'm here, bitches. Not only am I here, but I just saved all your asses. <laughs> right. Actually, I think I think that I think that was pimped out in the in the in the. Or was it? Uh, was it Fett was episode. in the Boba Fett? See, that's where I'm getting yeah. confused. Was, I remember being, uh, online. I've seen some reactions like, "Oh, where did he get this new ship?" And I'm like. Oh, that's that's when I realized everybody didn't watch Book of Book. Nah, we didn't finish okay. it anyway. Gotcha. So, um, but honestly, I was never blown away by the Naboo fighters in Episode One. They didn't strike me as really cool ships, like X Wings did. X Wings had a very industrial look. It 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 felt like it was the lineage of a of an earthbound aircraft. You know what I mean? It felt like a plane. It just felt like a a, a plane that would fly in space. It felt very real and organic. Everything about all the um, architecture and design for Naboo, there was this very elegant city. So those Naboo fighters didn't, to me, have any Star Wars-y DNA in their design. They were too artsy. Uh, so I was never impressed with those Naboo starfighters. Um, but having Mando have a junkyard version, one that he kind of pimped out, pimped my ride, um, and it's got no paint on it and it's missing pieces. It's like, that's a hood rat car now, you know? And so I kind of like his Naboo fighter and it was cool to see him kind of save the day. Um, and then it was disappointing, but I guess, um, realistic where even though the, I don't know what the woman's name is, I'll call her the forge stress because she forges with her hammer and stuff. She's like, yeah, you may have saved me, but you're still not one of us because you broke the creed. Well, she's, uh, she's, she's sticking, she's sticking to, to the creed. Yeah. Right. So um, so the way it opened, I felt was pretty strong. Um, and and once he makes it to uh, Carl Weathers' planet, where he says, I got to meet a friend, and you can see that this whole renaissance has happened. That in that one scene where he's kind of going through the town, there are so many Easter eggs, and there's so much to watch. You would have to almost freeze every frame. It's almost like the reveal, the first time we get the reveal of the Moss Eisley spaceport. There's so many things going on there. There was just a huge reveal. You got to see a guy who looked like, um, uh, who's the guy that says, it's a trap? Uh, the uh, Oh, uh, Admiral Akbar. Admiral Akbar. You got to see one of his species there walking through the streets. You got to see lots of protocol droids. Um, the salacious crumb or sidious crumb guy you see a bunch of them who sits on Jabba's shoulders a bunch of those in a I don't know tree what, I don't know what the name of the creature is yeah I don't, I don't either what, you know. but there were and then so this <coughs> or the species rather yeah so I almost feel like you would have needed to freeze frame that um, to see them so there was just so many easter eggs of of that um, seeing his protocol dro protocol droid that had like the body of C-3PO but almost like the face of a Death Star droid that was kind of cool in a different voice um, seeing IG-11 statue there on a on a pile of stormtrooper helmets like you know like I just saved the day bitches and then and, and beneath me are the skulls of my enemies that I've crushed <laughs> that was in, in town square you know that was kind of cool um, uh, seeing Katie Sackoff again as I can't remember her name of her character from the um, from the animated series but, but um, seeing her again was good uh, and I thought the, the pirates were okay it was neat I mean because the whole thing is kind of like the, the whole duel where they're getting ready to draw their guns everything about Mandalorian has been like a, a, a gunslinger Wild West show well that's, that, that was I mean, I mean I liked it but it's just We've we've seen that bit kind of a few times in this show, so you know, 
I'm not. I wasn't really as excited. Not that it's bad, but it's just right. we've seen we've seen that beat nothing played new. out. Yeah. Nothing new. Right. Um, that's what that's what I'm waiting on. I'm, right. I'm thinking Something that this quest this quest that he's going on. I'm thinking right. they're going to show us some different things. Or I'm hoping they're going to show us some different things. But one thing I'm wondering, and this is something that um, in the local comic shop I frequent, Collectors Comics, there's a guy that I happen to be friends with a few of those guys over there. And one of them said something to me that I'm wondering if, <coughs> excuse me, if this is going to play out. Because I know Kevin Feige has recently mentioned he thinks there's probably a glut of Marvel content on Disney Plus right now, so it sounds like he's going to be scaling back a bit. And I'm thinking that they may, there seems to be some, some financial upheaval or some kind of upheaval going on with Disney. I think that like they lost, Disney Plus lost subscribers, a certain amount of subscribers for the first time mm. uh, late last year. Uh, one of those financial reports, you know, where okay. they come in and they've, they've lost a certain amount of subscribers or something. and. Basically, it seems like the whole streaming thing isn't panning out. Not just Disney. It seems like across the board. Because I know Netflix, for the first time, like last sometime last year, they said that they lost a significant amount of subscribers for the first time. So I think people are kind of starting to see the, the shine is starting to come off. Is the bubble going to burst? Yeah. Because um, I've, I've often wondered how... or the, the Mandalorian, these shows and these Marvel shows, I think they cost almost $200 million a season, I heard. In some cases, which is like the that, cost of making a movie. Yeah, but it's like, how are they generate a movie generates money through the ticket sales, right? You know, like and things of that nature. But you know, and and um, you know, a, and movies are streamed on different platforms, whereas the Disney Plus content, a lot it's exclusive, like the Mandalorian that's exclusive right. to them. Well, after you pay the initial subscription fee, how do they make money on, say, a Mandalorian episode? How right. They- so it's it's just it's got to be the numbers, the numbers yeah. of subscribers they have, you know, however many however many millions of subscribers at fifteen dollars or whatever it is per month, or you know, you add all that up, that's their monthly income, and then they got to budget that. So I'm wondering if moving forward, since the Mandalorian, that's the the Mandalorian is initially the show that drove uh subscribers to Disney Plus in yes. the beginning. Yes. That's their that's pretty much their flagship right. and, show. And if there. anything, the book of Boba Fett might have drove them away. <laughs> maybe maybe. You know, I mean but um, but I'm just I'm sort of wondering if moving forward if the Mandalorian is gonna end up doing a lot more heavy lifting than anticipated. Uh, because you know now that if Disney is planning on scaling back the the, the amount of content for their different, you know, for Lucasfilm and then Marvel. And right. If they're thinking of scaling back, and I, cause I can't see them letting go of the Mandalorian for any reason, will Mando end up sort of doing more of the heavy lifting, whereas a lot of the ideas that might have gone into these other shows now and, and the character appearances that might have happened on other shows now are going to all be sort of redirected to Mando, you know, and is that going to overload the show? Because one of the... One thing that this guy at Collectors Comics um, mentioned to me is that what he he liked about The Mandalorian is it kind of felt like almost on the outskirts of the main Star Wars continuity. But as time goes on, more and more of just the regular Star Wars continuity is being brought to bear on the show. You know, as far as Luke, Luke making an appearance, 
Boba Fett making right, an appearance, right. you know, so... Yeah, a lot of that feels a little bit like fan service, but I haven't really complained too much about it. What I did like about Mandalorian, especially when it started off in season one, is it really... The whole show was kind of like a fish out of water, but it was also a fish in familiar water. Because he was swimming in the same waters that the entire Star Wars universe has taken place in, so there was a lot of familiarity, but it wasn't strictly fan service. Um, and, and that was refreshing. It was a Star Wars story that took place kind of on its own, on its own legs. Um, so I did like that about the show. And then as, as it went on, and as season two went on and season 2.5, um, they have been slowly integrating things like you mentioned, the young Luke Skywalker. They're now bringing in from the um, Clone Wars animated series some of those characters into live action, which is now, not that they were never canon, but they've switched from just animated canon to now live action canon. So they're bringing some of that stuff in, which for fans, I'm sure is great. If you were a fan of the Clone Wars, which I never really watched, um, and you get to see some of those, you know, iconic characters, on, you know, in live action in this current setting. I'm sure the fans were to the moon. Um, me not having that context, um, I, it, the fact that they were there, and even like uh, Ahsoka, um, whatever her name is, right? So um, the Anakin's Padawan, her being in there. So they're bringing, and she's getting her own series supposedly too, right? So. I think it's it's the Mandalorian has been the gateway for more live action. I think because of its success, they certainly wanted to do Obi Wan, and you and I have talked about Obi Wan, and we've kind of have mixed feelings about it, genuinely positive. But um, so yeah, the future of Disney live action streaming, and again, we talked about um, Rogue One and Andor. Andor was great Star Wars because there was yeah. there was. There weren't storm. Well, there were stormtroopers, but there weren't Jedi's. There wasn't an emperor. There wasn't Darth Vader. It was real political and uh, kind of uh, regional struggles going on. That was good. That was great Star Wars. That was great live action. Uh, Mandalorian has given us a lot of that, and but the Mandalorian is very PG, uh, almost leaning to the left towards G, whereas um, Andor is more like PG. 17. Towards R in some yeah, cases. Yeah, so a little bit more grittier, a little bit more grounded. Um, but no, I uh, as far as this first season, uh, this first episode of season three, um, a lot, it was, like you say, it was entertaining. Um, what did you think of the pirates? Just the whole idea of the space pirates and then the big space pirate ship and the captain kind of looking like the guy from. Uh, the Johnny Depp movies <laughs> with the seaweed and yeah, the seaweed that was kind beard. Of, that, that almost that, that character the 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 um, it looked like practical effects or I mean, like, I might be like wrong. makeup, yeah. But um, it almost it almost had like a um, Sid and Marty Croft kind of look to it almost to me. Um, what was the name of the guy in the Pirates of the Caribbean one that had like all the little octopus oh, stuff? Davy Davy Jones. Davy Jones, right? So he was kind of like Davy Jones in it, space, it was, you know? <laughs> yeah, there was something kind of there was something kind of startling about that. I mean, and also like um, another thing that's kind of a little bit jarring, and I'm wondering if this is just simply because Mando kind of had a longer uh, a a bit of a longer hiatus between seasons two and three than between seasons, between seasons one and two. And also, um, coming after Andor, 
because and the tone of Andor, the, the pacing was deliberate, the tone was a lot more uh, dark and dank and oppressive. Mm -hmm. um, it was a bit more, it was an, an, an adult Star Wars show, or I put, put that in quotation marks. Right. But it's just, you know, it's, it's a bit more of an intense tone than Star Wars has ever had. So coming back to The Mandalorian, it almost feels a little jarring. You know, like, like Mando kind of feels relatively lighthearted, um, which I wouldn't have, I wouldn't necessarily have called the show lighthearted before, but yeah, and it's... Compared to Andor. Yes. Yeah, and Andor kind of has reminded me of, because The Mandalorian is very much in the tradition of Star Wars and that it's very much an adventure serial. It, it has the feeling of an old adventure serial, and it's very much based in sort of the samurai mythology and movies that inspired Lucas because it's, it's, it's Lone Wolf and Cub. Right. For those who know what Lone Wolf and Cub is, Baby Cart and Peril, or if you've read the mangas or seen it in the movies from the 70s, there was a, I don't know if you've seen those. Mm, who knows? Yeah, <laughs> I'm old, I forget things. So. Well, no, well, well yeah, if, if, you, if you haven't, anybody who hasn't, look up Lone Wolf and Cub. It was a manga series uh, in Japan, and in the 70s, I think it was, they did a series of movies about them, a whole series of films. It's this um, sort of a disgraced samurai who used to be the Shogun's executioner, and the Shogun tried to have him killed, if I remember the story correctly. His wife died, so he made some sort of a, a, a dark pledge, and he takes his baby son with him, and he's sort of just a ronin, the masterless samurai. Samurai. He wanders with his child in a baby cart, and the baby cart is booby trapped with deadly booby traps. And this guy just kind of hacks people to pieces. He's sort of like the man with no name. He gets into adventures. He takes on jobs. He does things. And there's a, there's, there's sort of this kind of unsettling but fascinating theme, where the child witnesses all this carnage and in some cases participates and you're never really sure how it impacts the kid but it just makes for a very fascinating viewing two of the movies were edit edited together in 1980 and released under the title shogun assassin um and they they, they i forget who did it but the people behind this sort of um fusion of these those two movies they added a synthesizer score in 1980, and um, famously that movie was dialogue from was sampled for one of the Wu Tang Clan solo albums, Liquid Swords by Jizza. But if Steve, anybody listening, if you've never seen anything dealing with Lone Wolf and Cub, look it up, watch or read, watch the movies or read the manga, and The Mandalorian makes a lot more sense in that context. But getting back to my original point and. To, to wrap my long-winded point up. <laughs> um, yes, The Mandalorian is very much in the tradition of, the pure tradition of Star Wars. But that, but but Andor's kind of reminded me, it's, it kind of slapped me in the face with it. Yes, Star Wars is a kid's property, very much. Because now coming back to it, I'm like, you know, after being immersed in Andor, it's like, Wow, this seems lighthearted, much more lighthearted than I remember. Well, no, that's what Star Wars has always been. Right. So, right. although when they first the first trilogy, there was the Act Two, which was the Empire Strikes Back, and that one did end on a cliffhanger, and that was kind of dark. 
Um, yeah. So there has been some darkness in Star Wars, but not quite to the shade of Rogue One and Andor, um, which made them some of my more favorite ones because as an adult, they speak to more to me on adult right. themes and adult levels. Um, but yeah, in summary, I would definitely say the uh, season one of episode three of The Mandalorian is starting off, uh, starting off well for me. Uh, we know we know what his mission is, right? His mission is to redeem himself and be brought back into the creed because right now he's kind of absconded because he admitted that he had to lift off his helmet uh, and you're not supposed to remove your helmet. Um, they have basically abandoned him. And so now he's trying to win back those graces and he's trying to make his way back to Mandalore to find the waters of life which are underneath the mines and bathe in those so he can be... Um, based on the creed, brought back into the creed. And that's where we're going, and that's kind of how things started off. I felt the the Easter eggs of all the various species, seeing them in there was nice, especially like you mentioned, the little droid makers. Um, those droid makers were the ones that I just remember from the s- sequels, you know, Star Wars 7, 8, 9, that they were working on C-3PO when he had to have his, his brain wiped. So to see those again was kind of cute, as opposed to the kind of pigmen that were that took c-3po apart in the empire strikes back with lando right so these are like little mini pigmen that work on droids but they're cute right and 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 the other thing i liked was you mentioned grogu seemed like a puppet at points especially when he was being thrown when when mando threw him over to shoot the droid which by the way ig 11 uh a big fan of ig 11 um um but the personality of grogu was seen many times when he's trying to like hug those little pig droid makers mm-hmm. and stuff, and he's using the force to like pull M and M's from the bowl, and like a kid, he's just, he's in a big chair. Let me just spin around in circles, wee wee wee, you know, just doing like what a kid would do. So, um, his his baby Yoda Grogu personality, I felt, was very prominent, and um, which <clears throat> transcends the fact that we know he's a puppet. But he's behaving like a little kid would, and and I felt all those moments of the groguness of him were 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 good. Well, one one thing about that is also not that I'm not glad to see them reunited, but part of me kind of feels like at the end of the second season when Luke was taking Grogu away, and it was very emotional. Um. And I kind of thought, I always knew they'd be reunited, but I was kind of hoping that part of this season would be showing Mando have to deal with the fact that he became attached to what was supposed to be an asset, as right. it was with the asset. Right. Um, so in that sense, he also broke part of the code. He became emotionally, personally involved in a job. And having to deal with the fallout, the emotional fallout from that, that now you don't have this asset that effectively became your child. You became a father Mm -hmm. by uh, taking on this asset. And now you don't have that anymore. I was hoping we would deal with that a bit. And also, like, it just kind of, part of me kind of feels like that's almost a wasted beat now. That the whole emotional, you know, uh, separation. It kind of almost feels like a wasted beat. But we'll, I mean... Well, because I'm, I'm, I'm looking at it now, I'm kind of thinking to myself, wait a minute, these two characters kind of, out, in a way, it's, in, a, in a sense, it almost feels like they outgrew each other, should have outgrown each other, because there was a big, there was a big change happened. But, you know, I have to remind myself of two things. One, I don't know 
what the fan response would be if this was just Mando by himself and no more Grogu. Right, because Grogu was kind of the whole nucleus of Mando's right. journey from the beginning. Right, and I and I'm also, you know, not sure. We don't know. I don't know what's coming. Right. There may, there may be there may be something in the season that shows. Okay, yeah, I'm. You know, it's it's not my responsibility to keep you like this. You have your own path. Maybe maybe that will happen. Later. Right. Well, they seem to be both mutually attached to each other. Like she's he's Grogu's sitting in Mando's lap when he's flying. You know, like getting under his seatbelt and stuff. There's definitely a, a mutual attachment there. Um, another thing, speaking of them flying. But when they were flying through hyperspace, did you see like the space squids and the space whales a, in the clouds? That was. And, um, and I'm wondering, are those things flying fast, or do you enter some sort of other dimension when you're in hyperspace? Yeah. So I don't know that we've seen that before in in the live action. I'm not sure if it's been portrayed in on the plethora of animated stuff because I'm behind on all the animated series. But um, I don't recall seeing. Now, Star Trek deals with this. Star Trek and, and The Next Generation, all these things have dealt with like sentient space whales and space creatures that live out in space. But this is the first time that I can recall seeing it in the Star Wars, where first you just kind of see one, and it looks like a squid, and it's kind of blurry, and you know, it's like a shadow behind the light that's flying and past them. It doesn't them. look like it's fl- it doesn't look like it's moving fast. Well, it so. looks like it's moving along with them. Yeah. You can see that they're moving very fast because the light's flying by them, but it seems like it's almost motionless next to them. And first you think it's just one squid. Well, what's up? Is this squid following them? And then when they kind of pan back, you get to see that, and that squid was easily as big as the Naboo fighter. Well, this squid is now part of a colony of other ones, and there's a big one that looks kind of like, like, like a whale. So there's this whole pod of whales and squid-like things floating through hyperspace while they're beaming through their little tunnel. Um, that was this kind of cool visual thing. Yeah, um, so I'm wondering what, if anything, because I'm, I'm guessing maybe we'll see that again. Um, but I, And also, just the, the last little note on the attachment between Grogu and... Um, I forget the Mandalorian's actual name. <coughs> Din Jin Jarin Din Jarin or Jin Din Jarin. As we as we all know, yeah. uh, according to what we've seen in just about every Star Wars movie so far, attachments are never a good thing. <laughs> so, um, but seriously, attachments are what led to Anakin becoming Darth Vader, so to speak. Um, so and you know the the Jedi Council is highly against you know allowing children to to develop you know, children who are strong with the Force to develop attachments. Right, they didn't want Anakin to <clears throat> fall in love and things like that. Right, because you need to be in control of your emotions. So I mean, I'm, I'm like I said, I'm guessing at some point. Cause I, I think I heard Dave Filoni and the other guys say that they don't have any big ending planned. But like I said, we'll see. It's too it's too early to make any of these judgments. So we'll we'll see how that goes. But well, yeah. it was a good forty minutes. You know, yeah. thirty eight minutes, whatever it was. It was a short episode. Um, it's kicking the season off. Definitely, we know what his path is. We know right now he is trying to redeem himself and get back in good with the Mandalorians. Um, what is the what's the Phantom Menace of this season? Is it going to be? Um, Davy Jones, the pirate with the seaweed beard, is he going to be the bad guy? That would be kind of disappointing. Um, but what's the what's what's the conflict this season? Um, 
We'll find out, right? Because every hero needs a conflict, right? If hero needs a villain, story needs conflict, needs a struggle, there there's for it to be a resolution, right? Um, but yeah, I enjoyed it. If you haven't seen it, go see it, watch it. And I'm looking forward to more. Matter of fact, I almost feel like I want to rewatch seasons one and two because it's been so long. It's been so long since I've seen them and it's not quite fresh in my mind. Um, they did give you a nice little kind of summary right before the episode started, but I'm sure there's a lot more I could rewatch to... Um, fill in some blanks, uh, make things more fresh in my mind. Uh, so in conclusion, would you give uh, Mandalorian Season 3 episode a thumbs up? I'd give it a thumbs up, but I will say, but I will say I'm hoping for more as the season, as the season progresses, because this, this did kind of feel like a sort of a way station for me in a way. Like it sort of felt like a, you know, we're not really... We were in purgatory. Yeah, was we, it, we, we, it was we were not really move because the, the thing about the Mandalorian that I always associate with it is movement. is always It's always moving, and this is the first time I felt kind of. But like I said, maybe they ha- maybe they have to establish things for people who some of the more casual fans who don't consume every single Star Wars thing that shows up on Disney Plus. So, is there such thing as a casual Star Wars fan? <laughs> is that an oxymoron? Mm. Um, I, th- I, th- I think there are, but I think that they are much younger than we are. Okay. I think, I think, I think that as, as Star Wars ages and gets older, I think that you, I think that's with anything, you, you, you'll get people who are younger people who weren't alive for the original craze. And right. It doesn't, it doesn't, it's right. not as strong. The context yeah. is not applicable for them. Yeah. Um, uh, okay. So do we want to move on to some other things and, yeah. and news and whatnot? Uh, I will just say one of the segments we do is called How Did You Geek This Week and, and What Did You Work On? The one project that I've worked on, and if you have time after the show, I can show you, but I've been working on this Windows 98 machine. Uh, it's been a little project. I've posted a couple of two, three videos on it. And uh, the last thing I did to that was I actually added a second hard drive and now have Windows XP in there. So I've got a nice vintage old computer in a new shiny box where I can boot between Windows 98 and Windows XP and I've got a lot of old games I'm looking forward to playing on that matter of fact I'm going down tomorrow to Pompano I'm in a club it's called the Florida Retro Computer Club and I'm going to bring that computer and show it off uh, as my little show and tell piece everybody's got old computers like old Apples and Commodores and Ataris and stuff I'm going to bring my little custom build there that's been my little pet project I've been beating on for the past few weeks uh, anything you've been you mentioned last week you're watching your your uh, reading your book about the uh, kind of detective guy that was well, Brubaker yeah and Brubaker his reckless series I'm still reading through it now I'm reading through his original um, crime comic which was which is called Criminal um, the last run it had was through Image Comics so yeah I've been I've been checking that out um, but yeah that's still what I'm doing uh, tomorrow I'm going to be going to see Creed three. Okay, let me know what you think about that. Um, and, uh, oh, one thing I did this past, past week, I saw Cocaine Bear. Oh, yeah, that's right. You mentioned that at the end of the last episode. You mentioned we were going to see that. What did you think of Cocaine I know you did a write-up on it. Uh, I, I, I enjoyed <laughs> it, uh, but it's the kind of thing, you know, just the title and the trailer should let anybody with half a brain know that it's not suited to all tastes. Like, if you... The, to me, that is the cocaine bear is the kind of movie. 
you're not in that theater by accident. Like, <laughs> you, yeah, you're not, you, you, you can't. Like, like you were talking about how when you went to see Star Wars in New York and it said all all seatings are sold out, but we have other movies, right? It's like, yeah. I came to see something else. It was sold out, so I'll just watch Cocaine no. Bear, right? No, <laughs> if you came to see... If you, if you came to you see... You saw Cocaine that shit Bear, on purpose. Yeah, yeah. Like, some, because, like... Uh, Anybody, I'll smack anybody that comes comes up to me saying, "Oh, it's not what I expected." Like, seriously, what, what, what were you? It's called Cocaine Bear. Right. What are you expecting? Like it's when if you see that trailer, it's um no, it's 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 entertaining. It's um some people have said that it's a ninety minute meme, and it may be that uh, it's there are some surprise. There are some things that are surprisingly well done. It's a little slight, you know. Um, it, it's it kind of. But I had to keep reminding myself it's called Cocaine Bear. Right, so right. What, what am I going to expect from it? Um, Ice Cube's son is in it. Um, O'Shea Jackson Jr., I think, is his name. Um, and he's uh, he's actually carving out a career for himself. You know, uh, he's not he's not bad in the movie. Ray Liotta, his final on-screen role. He's not he's pretty fun in the movie. Um, it's uh I'm just gonna say to anybody right now, if you have problems with child imperilment, if you have problems with animal cruelty, if you have problems with those kind of things being uh sent up and played for laughs, just stay home. <laughs> when you say child impairment, you're talking about imperil- like putting a child in, in danger. In imperilment, yeah. Imperilment, I see. Okay. Putting a child in danger if you have problems with Kind of like when you say Shane Black would always their villain yeah. would always use a kid uh, and, yeah, not, and is, not be afraid to threaten to kill to kill the hero's kid to uh, yeah this this would make Shane Black say oh my god <laughs> like, I mean, you know, um, it's it's just it, yeah it's um you, you, like I said it's, it's just if you've seen the trailers it's pretty much what you would expect I've heard some people say they didn't think it went far enough and I'm not sure what those wow. people wanted <laughs> well let me ask you this the, does is this would be a spoiler what I said does the bear die in the end does the evil cocaine bear die in no. the end he doesn't die so is it left open where this become, there could be a sequel and this could potentially become a franchise perhaps I mean it's kind of to be honest what this movie is it's it's a monster movie with that, but that's also played for laughs some of the, the funny thing is the, the the scene the kills by the bear are they're really gory and they're not it's it's they're, they're, there's parts of it that are funny but the way they play it in a way that you really do tense up when the, the when someone encounters the bear so you know it's kind of I I can't imagine this kind of joke working more than once for the people that it does work for because it's not okay. going to work for everybody I can't imagine you think it's a one trick pony I can't imagine I mean who knows I mean I mean, who knows we'll, we'll see right but you think of like a movie like The Hangover that first Hangover movie was one that you never would have expected and they ended up mm-hmm. making three of them <laughs> and, and so, the other two weren't weren't worth sitting through in my okay. brain but like, uh, okay would you recommend people to see it with, with all your um, disclaimers and cautions yeah, if, I would. I would recommend to see if you found anything in the trailer funny, then yeah, I would tell you to go see. Okay. It. If you looked at that trailer and you were wondering, you know, they actually expect me to pay to see this, stay home. Okay, fair enough. So, um, and I guess there's one more thing I can add because I talked about this last week too. But the the new 
the new Harry Potter game, or it's like it's not a Harry Potter game, but it's called Hogwarts Legacy. It puts you in the world of the Harry Potter books and movies. I've been playing that in my spare time, and it is a lot of fun. You mentioned you're not uh, a Harry Potter fan, or not a big one. Um, be, my experience has been the movies. I never read the books, but my wife and I have watched the movies many times. We like to quote lines from the movies. Um, I feel like that world that they created um, was a really cool world, and I'm not a huge fan of it, but I am a fan enough of it to where I enjoy exploring that world in this game. And so for a casual fan to a super fan, you're going to find something in this game that you're going to like. You get to be a student at Hogwarts. You get to explore that whole world around Hogwarts. You get to, um, you know, learn how to do new spells and new things and explore and all kinds of cool stuff. So it's a lot of fun. I typically will get bored with a game or need to take a break from the game after a while. But um, for going on two or three weeks now, when I have spare time, I play it. And, and I enjoy it. And I'm to the point now where I can fly around on a broom. Mm-hmm. And flying on a broom is fun. <laughs> it's kind of cool now because the walking takes forever. And you can only fast travel once you've gotten somewhere. So you have to slowly get somewhere before you can quickly travel there again. So being able to fly now makes getting to new uh, locations a little bit easier. So uh, I'm enjoying that. We did kind of talk about some of the controversy around that. Last week we don't need to rehash that. But I would definitely say... Um, if you were curious about it, if you're on the fence, um, it's to me, it's worth the money. Um, and then I think the last thing we have is a little bit of news. So are you ready to talk a little about a little bit of, a little bit of news, Scott T. Wilson? You can kick it off. Well, yeah, today, um, the catalog of classic rap group called De La Soul is now available on streaming platforms. It wasn't for a very long time. I think due to legal issues and rights issues and publishing and all that other stuff, some of it may have been due to, I mean, their catalog is very sample heavy, so I'm not sure if all the samples were cleared, but they were actually innovators in that way of sort of layering samples and like just even taking obscure samples and they were re- they were really artists when it came to that and, and how the samples were employed and you know, used in a song and everything else. But anyway, the catalog is available. Their first album, Three Feet High and Rising, came out in 1989. That was like a landmark rap album. And it was, that that was a landmark period for, you know, the late 80s is really where rap music began to splinter off into various subgenres and uh, categories. And uh, like, they really were trailblazers and that they created an entire lane for rappers that did not fit the stereotypical mold that you would put a rapper in back at that time. Um, they were kind of referred to, even referred to themselves derisively as hippies. Um, Hippie rappers, not huh? free spirits. Yeah, they, they were they were from Long Island because at that time, you know, New York rappers came from the five boroughs, but these guys came from Long Island, which is very suburban and and. Uh, Interestingly enough, Long Island was a in the late '80s was a hotbed of rap talent. Uh, Public Enemy is from Long Island, um, even though Chuck D was originally born in I think was it Queens or Brooklyn. He wasn't originally born in Long Island, but um, you had EPMD. You had a there's a list of names. Busta Rhymes got his start out there, um, but Daylaw was something altogether different, and of course. Uh, True Goy the Dove, you know, he passed, unfortunately, 
not too long ago at all. Um, and it's a lot of guys, rap fans my age, have kind of been a dark cloud has been hanging over us because of that, because of what this group meant. Uh, and, uh, and these guys were just real trailblazers. They also, and they also had a way of sort of a lot of it, some of their songs, the theme was they would criticize rap music and hip hop, what was going on in it, what they thought was bad in it, what they thought was bad for the culture, what they thought was, you know, as the rise of gangster rap, or which is actually a misnomer, that term, and I'll get into that on another show, but as the rise of some of certain things they thought weren't good for the music they would make songs and have lyrics about it and even take shots at certain artists and they were kind of very bold in that way and it was they had this it was a it was if you ever want to see examples of sort of this kind of introspective side of hip-hop where rappers critique their own form those guys kind of were trailblazers in that way as well and uh but their whole catalog i mean their first two albums were like these ground, De, uh, the, the first one was Three Feet High and Rising, and the second one was called De La Soul is Dead. And um, that title was them, that album, they were killing the hippie image that sort of, they kind of pioneered with the first album and uh, sort of showing people, you don't know what to expect, don't think you have us in the box, and don't. Okay. Uh, um, and as I was, showed Steve earlier, uh, Spider-Man No Way Home ended with a song, the, the first song for the end credits, that the song that led to the the mid-credits scene, uh, the the magic number. Three is mm. a which is like a play on Schoolhouse Rock, yeah. and that video very much um, reminded me of Schoolhouse Rock. Yeah. And then you also had me watch was, a video of me, myself, and I too, which was yeah. kind of, and they look super young. Yeah, they, they look like kids. They were. Uh, they were. Um, um, but yeah, no, I remember the name De La Soul, and I'm not as much as a historian and um, as versed as you are. But just based on that kind of backstory you gave me earlier and watching some of those videos, yeah. So on the one hand, it's a win that they're now available on streaming platforms for people who maybe couldn't get them before, because not everybody buys music anymore. Right. It used to be we all bought. Well, it used to be we bought physical, and then we go to buying digital, and now it's just streaming. I'll put it in my playlist, and now for those of you who stream. The good news is you can stream De La Soul. The bad news is we've lost one of the members, yes. right? Which is unfortunate, obviously, because we lost a pioneer and also because now the chance to make some more money is not... Uh, he, he can't partake. He can't partake in that, but hopefully maybe his family or his estate can. Um, so, yeah, that is on, but I did, just based on the little history lesson you gave me and some of those videos, yeah, I'm like, yeah, these guys are cool. I remember the name, don't remember all the songs, but, yeah, really cool band. Um, hip-hop band and the only thing that I'm going to talk about in the news and then we're going to wrap it up because uh, the DCU the DC Universe which is what it's now being called as under the um, under the magic um, reigns of James Gunn uh, so DC and uh, HBO Max have had a handful of things and the whole idea that now James Gunn is saying is that now everything is going to be part of the same universe moving forward what's in the uh, box office theaters what's on live action streaming and even what's on animated streaming all of these things now are in the same universe part of the same continuity moving forward and um, mixed 
feelings and mixed opinions on uh, Henry Cavill is probably not going to be back as Superman, at least not right away. Uh, so not everybody's a fan of that. But we are talking about what are the first two things that we can expect from the DCU. And so one of these is Viola Davis, who played Amanda Waller. And we first saw her in the Suicide Squad movies, and she was kind of like the Nick Cage, or the Nick Fury, right? She was kind of like the person who was running this ragtag group of heroes or anti-heroes. And it's a really cool character. It's kind of a no, takes no shit, holds no prisoners, holds, pulls no punches. So, um, so she was in the first... First Suicide Squad movie, the second one. Um, I didn't see Peacemaker or Peacekeeper with uh, John Cena because to me he was a goofy character in that second um, Suicide Squad movie. The, su- the the second Suicide Squad movie was was gu- quality entertainment and it was very humor heavy. And coming from James Gunn, who did things like Guardians of the Galaxy, it was fun to watch. But I didn't take that Peacemaker character seriously. But apparently he's got a whole other season on HBO that I didn't even watch because I didn't have the interest. But apparently Viola's Davis, Amanda Waller, is in there. And so she's going to have a live-action series that is kind of following up after the Peacemaker series. So that's one of the first live-action ones. Now, um, James Gunn's brother, whose name is Sean Gunn, he played a character called the Weasel in the second Suicide Squad movie. And there's going to be an animated um, a show called Creature Commandos, where he is going to be the voice of that same character in that show. So those are the first two reported things we're going to see from the DC Universe. Obviously, you and I are both looking forward to seeing the Flash movie, which was filmed the way before the takeover and the changes and all the corporate um, uh, anarchy. But uh, I, always, I always say we've got to remain optimistic. I really hope DC finds its footing, finds its voice, finds its path and blazes one um, where uh, actually this is a good time for them to kind of reboot because a lot of people feel that Marvel who was the leader for a long time it almost feels like they're losing their focus and their footing and this would be a great time perfect time to come in and say yeah this is a great time to come in and say hey we got something strong so um, always remaining optimistic yeah I mean you know we'll see you know, look, I'm always, I'm much more of a Marvel guy than a DC guy, but at the same time, at this point, I just, I just, I want to be entertained and I want to be, not just entertained, but engaged. Because, you know, you can, you can be entertained, but not necessarily engaged in something. You know, there are movies that are entertaining, but not engaging. I want, I would, I would just like, you know, if DC has an alternative, a way, a different, way of approaching this kind of material then you know yeah now i would say to james gunn and the 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 suits over at warner brothers now fellas now's the time pull it out bring it out yeah right and i think the flash is going to do that i think the flash movie is going to kick the door wide open as jay-z as jay-z once famously said one of his most famous lines bring them out bring them out (laughs) Uh, uh, so i'm going to tell you one thing scott t wilson um we have a new theme song And I've heard it, but I'm going to save it for you till it's done, done. And we're going to get the um, creators on and talk to them. So my friend uh, Gordon, whose uh, rapper name is The Gimp, he goes by the name The Gimp. 
Good his, Lord. His record label is Hallowed Ground Records. Okay. Um, he has given us a Culture Goes Pop theme song, and his musical wow. collaborator goes by the name Stagger. So when we get the Gimp and Stagger together, we will do an interview with them to talk about their record label and, and some of their tracks. And he's got new music, too, so maybe we can get some debuts and some of his right. new tracks. And then we're going to debut our new theme song. And I want you to hear it for the first time and see your live, genuine reaction to it. Well, any rapper that calls himself the Gimp, I'm interested interested to hear his lyrical content with that kind of name. Because <laughs> I, I, there's lots of things that come to mind with the name Gimp. I, 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 well, because the uh, short story is, I, I, and I've known him since he was like five years old, and um, he was my roommate's uh, cousin or nephew or something. He hit his head diving into a pool and he has some physical restrictions oh, in, wow. in his right hand and in his leg. Mm. Um, and so it was kind of his nickname in school. They mm. called him the Gimp because he walked with a limp. But it was not done out of hate. That just became his name, and he took that name. And he calls himself was, the Gimp from Hollow Ground. And his, his record label is called Hollow Ground. I'll tell, you, I'll tell you right now, that's kind of a, in hip-hop, that's a running theme, taking you know, something that was given to you maybe even derisively and using it as a you know sort of right. using it as a, a weapon against those who labeled you that that's so. right what doesn't kill me makes me stronger i'm gonna own it and you have no power over me you have no power here walk away <laughs> um and and this is this i'm gonna sh we're gonna have this conversation together on the episode too for our audience but uh, i've been looking at our catalog and i've been looking at some of the stuff that we've done and this show has been an experimental show, and we've tried a lot of things, and we've done a lot of things, and I've been looking back at some of those things, and I want to do some more of those things. Like, we've done things where we did cover songs that don't suck, and we show the original and play a cover. I want to bring more of that back. We did an episode where you pick three soundtracks from movies, and I pick three soundtracks from movies. We will, I want to do more of those. We did one episode called Get to Know Us, where we talked about our backstory. And you talked about growing up in the 80s. I talked about growing up in the 70s, kind of going down memory lane. Those were fun. So uh, I, I feel like we're starting to fall into the trap where every episode we're reviewing something. And there's nothing wrong with that. But we've done a lot of experimental uh, programming as well. And a lot of those segments I, I like. Uh, we're not getting enough feedback from listeners and viewers to hear what the audience likes. But I want to continue to not be the same show. And of course, I've been mentioning and threatening and promising interviews, and I've got a lot of interviews that I'm working on to get done, so I've been wanting to do interviews for a long time. I talked to my friend Alan Murphy today, who we had on a few times as one of our guests, and uh, he wants to talk about chat GPT thing, which is this new AI thing that everybody's going crazy about, and he's, and he's a very uh, compelling, dynamic speaker. So when he's excited about something or not excited about something, it's still radio gold to listen to this guy talk about stuff. So we'll get Alan back on. But yeah, there's lots more stuff to do. And what I would say for those of you who are kind of new and coming in now, listen to the back catalog. We have a lot of interesting things that we've done. We've done a lot of experimental shows and tried different things and trying different uh, content. And I'd like for people who have not maybe heard those or have not heard them in a while, give a few a listen, kind of skip through a few different episodes and then Give us some feedback and let us know what you did like and what you'd like to hear more of. Or even better yet, give us suggestions for something we haven't done you'd like to see us do. And even better than that, if you want to come on and join us and talk about something, reach out uh, and to be a guest on the show. Easiest way to do that, send us an email to the email address, which is show 
at culturegoespop.com or visit us on the web culturegoespop.com for links to all of our landing spots on the internet. Any final words, Scott T. Wilson? Um, no, I don't really have final words other right. than goodbye. <laughs> all right. My final words goodbye and go watch Cocaine Bear, right? <laughs> Some quality, wholesome entertainment. <laughs> and check out The Mandalorian and catch up on season one and two and kick off season three. Take care, everybody. We'll see you all next week. Peace.